You are listening to the Innovators Behind Disruption, a podcast series brought to you by Evolve ETFs. The world is evolving. Your investments should too. Hi there, this is Raj Lala, and I'm joined by Matt Ward. Matt's an angel investor, startup advisor, serial entrepreneur, author, futurist, and podcaster, uh, focused on building a better future through innovation and entrepreneurship. He actually runs a very popular exponential tech podcast called Disruptors. Uh, We share a common uh, name within our podcast. He's also a top blogger on Medium and is the author of uh, Gods of the Valley, How Today's Tech Giants Monopolize the Future. Matt, thank you very much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me today, Raj. Let's start at the top. You are a futurist, so can you explain what that means? Uh, and uh, and what excites you most about being a futurist, and what are some of your biggest concerns as well? Yeah, I've kind of had a couple people tell me I should label myself as such. It's basically, I'm my goals are to look at where the future is headed, where the potential pitfalls happen, and what are the things we should be working on now that we just aren't. I see a lot of companies that work on the next photo sharing app, and to be honest, I think we have more than enough of those. And more than enough problems facing facing all of us. So a futurist job is to figure out where we're headed and try to steer the ship towards better water, so to speak. Technology is a double-edged sword. It is what it is. So I can hit you with a car or I can get somewhere. And the technologies we're developing today are that, but on exponential steroids. Between AI and some of the stuff that we're doing now with biotech or human engineering, genetic engineering, you probably heard about the CRISPR babies. Well, the 21st century is going to be defined by genetic engineering, and that can go incredibly well. We can have superhumans with intelligence. We can be smarter, stronger, sexier, or it can go horribly wrong, either by thinking we know what we're doing but not realizing we don't, or by having people be split apart, so to speak, where certain people evolve and others don't. I'm actually uh, actually writing a sci-fi book about those very topics at the moment. So when you talk about when you talk about CRISPR, I mean, I've had this conversation with uh, people in the past, and I guess once you start going down the road of designer babies, it kind of sounds more like a, um, a luxury item of uh, procreating. But there's also other sides to it, which is trying to, you know, cut out some of the uh, dominant genes that are, are are dominant for cancer or even other ailments within within cultures, whether it be uh, high blood pressure or diabetes. So are you are you more comfortable with CRISPR when you talk about that side or do you do you what's your overall view of it? I think when people think about what they're comfortable with, I think that's a dangerous part of an equation to think about because the other part will always come. So like let's play it around on the flip side. Let's say we wanted to get rid of disease. But what if we were able to um, eliminate autism or what if we were able to eliminate Asperger's and that had happened before humanity ever got here? suddenly some of the greatest geniuses we've ever had never would have been born. And that would be a a major change in humanity's trajectory. I think when we're developing technology, it'll inevitably be used for the initial scientific purposes. No one wants to say we're working on creating genetically enhanced babies because then you're kind of saying everyone else isn't good enough. But if you have a situation where your kid has a life-threatening disease or if you can help them get ahead in the world, inevitably that will happen. Yeah, yeah, understood. Uh, let's talk about Amazon. So, obviously, they've revolutionized uh, e-commerce and now making up over 50% of all e-commerce transactions in the U.S. 
Do you think that they're a disruptor of retail? Do you think they're a disruptor in technology or both? Definitely both. And in a lot of ways, they could be an ender of both. So I don't know if you're familiar with Wally, but in my opinion, that, that company that kind of destroys the world and owns everything, that's Amazon. And that's what they're building right now. They have the smartest people, the most money, and the strongest hold on both consumers and if you look at it regulatory as well, because it's hard to touch something that's so big where it literally is too big to fail. And Amazon seems to be in that in a lot of areas and trying to get more and more into. They've got retail. They've got grocery, which they're still working on. They're exploring pharma. They're exploring all of these different avenues. But even just when they do it, Amazon bought Whole Foods for $13 billion. And you saw the subsequently the top three uh, supermarket chains that would be their competitors, their market caps dropped $13 million. They essentially subsidized the acquisition for Mr. Bezos. And that's a scary proposition when investors were willing to bet that much just on the, yes, we're going to do this type of statement. Yeah. Um, Let's talk also about uh, AI and 5G. And the reason why I'd like to talk about both is because, you know, we can get in talking about specifics in technology, but I think that both of those are overarching uh, disruptors within the within the industry. So can you talk a little bit about where you see 5G in its development at the moment? When do you see it being rolled out? And what's the, what's the impact going to be overall uh, in our lives? The funny thing about 5G is no one actually agrees on a standard. It's kind of like a made-up term we all agreed upon. Unlike unlike if you look at some of the earlier paradigms, I think if you look at how it's rolled out, though, basically what it boils down to is right now we more or less operate on satellites and cell towers. We'll be getting down to much smaller, more micro city type networks, which we'll be interacting with. 5G is super helpful for that because you need that constant instantaneous connectivity with high bandwidth. Super important for autonomous vehicles. Super important for a lot of other need-to-be-now type transactions and actions. You can't have buffering when you have an autonomous vehicle driving. But I think that the U.S. will be way behind in this, to be honest. So between the fact that the U.S. government really isn't willing to spend much on things, they want gov- they want corporations to do it for them. So AT&T, Verizon, this is probably why we saw the, uh, the repeal of net neutrality. So those companies can extract more money from consumers and theoretically build a better infrastructure, which usually doesn't work out that way. In other countries, you see governments spending on a lot of the infrastructure type stuff. So I would see Europe, I would see Asia especially, probably like a Singapore rolling out something like 5G first. And the same would be true for a lot of those AI technologies, specifically autonomous vehicles, just because of the regulatory side of things. Now for AI specifically, you see Every startup has AI somewhere in their name. And in general, they're throwing it in as a buzzword. I think we have to kind of differentiate between trying to do something new and unique versus trying to take existing problems, existing solutions, and then putting data and machine learning onto that. So, for instance, let's say you're optimizing. Let's say you're climbing a mountain and you want to find the the maxima. Well, you're climbing up, you're climbing up. If you're climbing up and suddenly you see it start to go back down, in front of you, you see a small valley occurring. You're like, oh, we've reached the top. And this is kind of how machine learning works. You're optimizing towards a specific solution, but it doesn't allow you to see, oh, shoot, if we went if we went two kilometers over, the mountain keeps going another 
five miles into the air. It kind of optimizes the existing state of things and can't see beyond the existing paradigm. Right. Um, let's stay on AI for a moment. Uh, let's talk about what is very exciting from a development perspective and what your concerns are. Um, are you one of those individuals that thinks that it's going to displace, you know, up to 40, 45% of the jobs out there, or do you think it's going to be an overall enhancement? I think it'll be both. To be honest, I think there's going to be a lot of job displacement, and there's going to be additionally be a lot of job creation. So if you look at technology, every time something happens, you can never really predict what happens afterwards. It's kind of like a black swan event. It's so far beyond the realm of how you would imagine things that if you go and look at most of the top sci-fi books, most of them didn't have cell phones in them. They just never envisioned something like that happening. And I think it'll be similar with this. The problem being, in the past, we've went through a lot of different transitions. We had the agricultural era. We had the industrial era. We had the sit your ass in a desk and work at a corporate office doing Excel era. And now we're getting into the innovation era. But as we get further and further along that chain, we're starting to move into possibly a creativity era where the more mechanical, the more left-brained your job and your abilities are, the easier it is for you to be automated. Schools of the past were designed as a factory to put out factory workers, and we're moving towards the world quickly without factories. So will, will a lot of these people be replaced? Yes. Will they be able to be trained for something else? That's a lot less certain. It's hard to teach an old dog new tricks especially when they're not super keen on what the possibility of the future looks like. Can you give some real tangible examples of how AI is going to kind of change our day-to-day -day lives over the course of them? Like if I fast forward five to ten years, like some real examples of, of how, how our life is going to change our day-to-day. -day. So I think the biggest thing would be on a societal perspective. So it, it may not be in the U.S., but again, this won't be because we can't do it or because of the regulatory framework. But let's think about truck driving. We can already pretty much automate all of that. If you automate truck driving, you have no need for truck stops, which means you have no need for more or less all of middle America because we start skipping them. And a lot of the business that formed around these little towns is suddenly worthless. It dries up and those all start to die as more and more people aggregate to the cities. On an individual or consumer basis, you already see... You have Google, you have Amazon, you have Netflix showing you exactly what you want to see. Unless we have some type of regulations against these specific individualized algorithms, you'll see that become more and more enhanced. If you've ever watched something on YouTube, inevitably three or four videos later, you're watching something more extreme. If you keep going for another hour, suddenly you're at one of two things, Alex Jones or anti-vaxxers. And it's kind of the slippery slope they take you down because slightly more extreme is slightly more interesting, which you're slightly more likely to stay on. And AI will do that unless we create systems to counteract that. I think we see the, the AI, like personal assistants, are starting to become more interesting. They're still not at the point where you could replace a personal assistant significantly, but they're getting to the point where you could replace entire call centers. You've probably seen the Google duplex demo where... Yeah. Google calls up a Chinese food store, and it's almost impossible to tell the difference. Well, yeah. they're, they're getting to the point where if they want it to be impossible to tell the difference, they can make it. The question is, do we legally allow that? And the other question, probably even more important, is it even possible to prevent? 
So on one of our recent podcasts, I had a, a, a Dr. Jonathan Kelly, who's a, a professor, a robotics professor at U of T, on, and I asked him the question as to when do you think we will have robots actually living in our home? And he kind of surprised me and, and, and said that, well, we sort of already do with, you know, things like our Roomba, the vacuum, but that's kind of, uh, that's, that's, that's obviously a little bit old technology, but his view was that we will most likely in the next five to six years, uh, some people, not everybody, will actually have robots living in their home uh, helping with uh, day-to-day tasks. Do you agree with that? It's hard. What's your definition of a robot? Because I, I have a dishwasher. What does it have to look like? That's kind of like the question. And for a lot of people, it has to look humanoid for it to be robot. But we'll kind of keep moving these lines down. And it gets really dangerous. I don't know if you've watched Westworld. But people people anthropomorphize things where you'll see your dog and you assume or you feel like your dog is acting a certain way, doing a certain thing, and you don't actually know. Is there something there? Is there not something there? And we'll get to the point, especially if we have robots that look that look remotely natural, so human or animal in some way, we'll start giving them feelings from ourselves, kind of things we put onto them, which can be and super problematic because, A, we don't know if they have that. So let's say we've got a little robot and he's working around. He's working in all of Bezos' factories, doing all this labor, and suddenly there's a push for this little guy has to have rights because you know what? He's a human or he's a being and he has feelings and a conscious too. We can't prove or disprove that because we have no idea how consciousness happens and we still don't really understand the true Turing test. And then alternatively, what happens with humanity if we decide, no, this isn't a real person because, or this isn't a real conscious entity in Westworld that go around raping and murdering each other. And you see similar things happen when people know they're interacting with robots. Well, Will that bring out the worst in us? And what if these robots actually look like us? That's the uncanny valley where if the robot looks too close to human, you get those weird little shivers. But if it looks exactly human, then you're not able to tell. And if you're not able to tell, how do you treat something like that? And if you treat them poorly, does your ultimately have like the, the video game concept of violent video games? Suddenly our society acting out their anger and hatred and becoming more hateful. There's a lot of little fine details and questions that people don't think about that could become super, super relevant. Mm, interesting. Um, let's pivot. Let's, let's talk about blockchain a little bit. So, I don't know, a year, year and a half ago, all we were hearing about was in Canada was about blockchain and cryptocurrency, obviously extremely tied to each other, rightfully or wrongfully so. Um, and then, And then over the course of the last year or so, uh, blockchain has really kind of died down in terms of how much you hear about it in the media and, and, and you know, people being involved in businesses. I've seen a number of people get involved in that industry and move out uh, over the last couple of months. Um, do you, first of all, what's your views on blockchain? And second of all, when do you think, if you think, uh, that we'll see it bifurcate itself away from uh, cryptocurrencies and actually have other purposes? I think blockchain is super interesting. In terms of technology, if you look at the technological adoption chart, it goes up, starts to drop down as people get bored of it, and then eventually only the diehards are left, and then it either takes off or it doesn't. And I think blockchain is in that low part of it'll either start to pick up steam or it won't. Now, whether or not that will happen is a whole other question. I think there's some interesting stuff there. The biggest problem I see is 
the best use case, at least to date, has been speculation. Second best would be cryptocurrency, actual usage. In the future, I don't see why we would have cash. I would see it being some type of blockchain ledger system. Inevitably, though, I feel like governments would co-opt that. I don't see it being a, a private chain being quite successful because if, let's say, we have Bitcoin and it's going, everything's going crazy, and then the U.S. government says, hey, by the way, guys, we're releasing the BitUSD. Well, suddenly you have all of America on that. The, the proportions aren't even remotely similar. So it could only ever really be used as a hedge. In terms yeah. of when it starts to split into different types of applications, I think there are certain things where a centralized entity just makes sense. It's faster, it's more efficient. And there are certain things where a decentralized entity makes sense. You want to make sure that something like this can't be censored. I think going forward, blockchain has a lot of potential in the voting and governance space because we see, well, I mean, quite frankly, we see democracies around the world failing because of people more or less either A, not trusting the system or B, hating each other too much to to cooperate. And I think that we're going to need to get around that. And I think having a more transparent system around voting and governance could be super helpful because politics is super sketchy. What you see in the movies is probably not the half of it. Now, in terms of other types of use cases for blockchain, um, I'm, I'm pretty bullish in terms of the microtransaction speed of things. So that would be on the cryptocurrency side. But let's say we have autonomous vehicles. Let's say we have little robots interacting with each other. Well, theoretically, if we have two autonomous vehicles, we can each go 60 miles an hour down the freeway and everything's going great. But what if I need to get somewhere faster? Is it worth it for me to spend, I don't know, 10 cents every mile, whatever the number is, to get the other AIs in front of me to move over so that I can drive 100 miles an hour while they go 45 or something of that nature, those little microtransactions that you have. It's like some states have the little toll system. I think we'll see similar things happening in the AI space. Robots interacting, maybe micro payments between, uh, between messaging services, between different services interacting. You want to use my API? Well, perfect. That's an API call. And I think that cryptocurrencies could be super helpful for API call type businesses. Hmm. Interesting. Well, thank you very much, Matt. Maybe uh, before we close off, you can uh, tell us about what you th what you envision to be the top two or three disruptive or innovative technologies uh, over the course of the next decade. Over the course of the next decade, it's uh, timing is always so hard with something, and that's the problem. Is if you get the idea right, but the timing wrong, it doesn't matter. You lose. And if you get the idea right, but everyone else realizes it, you still lose. So it's really about being right and being non-conformist and being at the right time as well. So it really is a, a perfect storm, so to speak. In terms of the three big technologies I'm most excited about, I'm super uh, I'm super pumped, to be honest, about autonomous vehicles. I don't think, again, it'll happen in the U.S. first. I think it'll be Singapore or China or someplace that has a more centralized, strong governmental force where it's easier to roll out and say, Screw what people think. We can give up a couple of lives from accidental autonomous vehicle deaths because we're going to save thousands or hundreds of thousands. So autonomous vehicles, which will really transform what real estate is. Cities will change. Suddenly you can have shops showing up to you. The doctor arrives at your house on his way to the dentist when then he gets lunch in the cab kind of deal. And that will be super interesting. I'm I'm very, very bullish on biotech in terms of where we're headed with genetically engineering both human beings and food supply, et cetera. So other things that we can do and optimize, things we can do to improve the environment, taking more CO2 out of the air by having 
more powerful, more powerful, um, I, I, photosynthesis, I guess. I couldn't really give you the exact terminology for that. I know some people that could. And then uh, that, that's time horizon though. So will it be 10 years? Will it be longer? That's a question. Uh, we already kind of see some of this happening now. And then a third technology that I'm most excited about. I'll give you one I'm most worried about and then how it could be countered. I'm, I'm really worried right now about the social media and algorithm type bias that we see. It's primarily driven by the advertising model that we have of people paying for our uh, essentially paying for clicks, surveillance capitalism. If we don't fix something like that, it's incentivized to create dissonance between us because that's what drives interaction. Us being kumbaya, sure, that works really well, but it doesn't have near the amount of emotional impact as he just killed your mother or something happened to this little child. It wants us to make us hate ourselves, hate everyone else, not hate ourselves so much. That's why watching the news just feels like such a depressing time. The, the ratio of good to bad isn't like that, but it appears to be because that's what we are looking for. So something that could counter that for people and for society, I think, will be incredibly important, both getting rid of some of the privacy concerns around your data being taken and used in a lot of ways against you to sell you junk that you don't want and to manipulate elections, and then also the, the divide between us in terms of social media. So a service or something that can aggregate viewpoint, credible viewpoints. You can't put two viewpoints next to each other where one is where one is completely disproven and the other one is not and show them both as equal credence because then you have problems like we're dealing with today on certain farther out topics. But something that can show people the the origin of where things are coming from and what the other side looks like could be super helpful in getting a dialogue started to fix some of the, the growing problems that we see between different parts of society. Got it. Thank you very much for all your insight today, Matt. Yeah, I hope uh, I hope it's been helpful and fun and hopefully it helps the listeners make a little bit of money in the process. Thanks again. Yep. Cheers. You have been listening to the Innovators Behind Disruption, a podcast series brought to you by Evolve ETFs. Remain educated, be informed, Sign up for our newsletter and learn more at EvolveETFs.com.